0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Miami, Florida Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Tonight, I want to share something with you along the lines of that book that I talked about tonight entitled The War Is Over. And I tell you, this will really help you if you can understand and receive what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 3... I want to start with this verse. We aren't going to spend a lot of time here, but this is where John the Baptist came on the scene. And uh, in chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so John was the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. Let's turn over to Isaiah chapter 40 and I wanna show you some of these prophecies and try and give you an impression of what Jesus came to do. I don't think that most New Testament Christians have a good understanding of the New Testament and the Old Testament. With most people, the only difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is one blank page in your Bible. Most people see this as one book and they just mix it all together. For instance, let me just give you a quick for instance, but if most people, you know, wanna become a prophet today and if they talk about a prophet, they will nearly always go back to Elijah, Elisha, Moses, somebody like that and they will see a prophet who's firing brimstone and calling fire down out of heaven in the second chapter or second Kings chapter one, Uh, the king sent his men to surround Elisha and he just called fire down out of heaven and killed 102 people. And this is what people think a prophet is. That man, you just are full of wrath and you you minister and rebuke and all this kind of stuff. Jesus' disciples tried to do that exact same thing that Elijah did in 2 Kings chapter one and Jesus rebuked them. They said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down out of heaven as Elijah did? And he turned around and rebuked them and says, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. The the son of man did not come to condemn man's life, but to save them. And he rebuked them for wanting to do what was done in the Old Testament. If you try and be a prophet like Elijah was, like Elisha, like Moses was, you are against Jesus today. Jesus stopped that kind of stuff. It doesn't work the same way. I know some of you right now, it's just like you're shocked, like what are you saying? I'm saying there's a difference between the way God did things in the old covenant and the way he does things in the new covenant. And most people don't know this. And so they see things in the old covenant and and they do one of two things. Either they think that God is schizophrenic is he the God of the old covenant today or is he the God of the new covenant? Is he the one that's going to turn around and put leprosy upon you because you did something wrong or is he the one that's going to turn around to the very woman taken in the act of adultery and say, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Which is it? Is he the God of love or is he the God of anger? So people will either think he's schizophrenic or they'll think that he changed. And yet the Bible says that the Lord does not change. So how do you harmonize the wrath of the Old Testament and the judgment and dealing with people based on their performance in the Old Covenant with the mercy and the grace of the New Covenant? And most people have never rightly divided this. And so they kind of just do it based on how they feel. Well, I don't feel that God's upset with me right now. So I believe God's good. And they'll talk about the grace of God. But then they go out and sin and their own conscience goes to condemning them and they feel so bad. And man, they believe that God's gonna punish them. They're afraid God's gonna throw them to the wolves. I actually had one guy come up to me and he said he used to picture God As an old man with a long beard hanging over a banister in heaven, just waiting on him to get out of line and had a lightning bolt in his hand and he was gonna blast him and get him. That may be an exaggeration for most people, but most people do see God as this hard-to-please Father that is just a tyrant and hard and you can't live up to it. And this is what's driving people away from God today. Is the old covenant impression of God. There was a reason for all of this. I'm not going to be able to answer all of this tonight. That book entitled The War Is Over would go into more detail and I tell you, it would really, really help you. But I want you to look here in Isaiah chapter 40. In verse one it says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Speak ye comfortably, unto Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is the exact verse that was quoted over there in Matthew chapter three, verse three. This is the ministry of John the Baptist. This is God speaking to him. And this is Old Testament prophecy that basically started talking about the change in the way that God was gonna deal with people. And John the Baptist was to come and prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus brought in a new covenant, a brand new contract, a brand new way of God dealing with people. And sad to say the body of Christ today does not live under the new covenant. They live at at the very best under a mixture of the old covenant and the new covenant, which Jesus said, that's like trying to put a new patch on an old garment. It'll tear or putting new wine in an old wineskin. It can't work. Or some people just live totally under the new covenant and basically ignore the grace of God. But only when we understand what God has purchased for us do we begin to start really receiving the benefit. You know, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to preach on this verse, but this is one of my favorite scriptures over in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, that's saying that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's not just talking about forgiveness of sins, but healing is part of salvation. Prosperity is a part of salvation. Joy and peace is a part of salvation. And anointing and flowing in the gifts and everything that Jesus came to do. And the thing that releases that power is the gospel. You know, this is Saturday night. This is not your nod to God crowd You're fanatics. You're fanatics to come out to a convention center on a Saturday night to hear a guy, a hit from Texas, talk. You're just a stark raving mad fanatic or you were drug gear by a fanatic, one of the two. Most of you believe in the healing power of God. You believe in the miraculous and yet if I was to give an invitation right now and say how many of you need to be healed 90-something percent of you stand. I see it happen every single time. So you believe God can heal, and yet you aren't walking in the healing. You believe God can prosper, and yet there's many of you struggling financially. You believe that there is joy and peace in the Lord, and yet many of you don't have that joy and peace. Why is it? If you believe that these things are available, how come it's not working in most people's lives? It's because you don't know the gospel. The gospel is the thing that releases the power of God. And most of us have not been taught the true gospel. We are being taught a perverted gospel. And in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to preach on that anymore, but that is a great, great truth. And so here's John the Baptist coming on the scene and notice the Lord told him to comfort his people. In the Old Testament, the law wasn't to comfort you. It was to afflict you. The Old Testament law was like a whip that drove you to subjection and made you submit to God. The New Testament law draws people by love and mercy as a whole. Now, this is not true of everybody. There are good churches. I am for the church. I am for good churches. But I believe that there's more bad churches than there are good churches. Most people are being hindered and hurt in many of our churches today And most churches are like a whip that are driving people and saying, turn or else, repent or else, turn or burn. And that's what people say is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. There's no good news in that. Repent or else, turn or burn. There's nothing good about that. It's true. It's true. I believe that there is a hell and I believe people go to hell if they don't accept Jesus, but that's not good news to tell people you're going to hell. That's not good news. And yet that's what the church is preaching. Good news is that even though you are headed in that direction, Jesus took your sin and paid for it and you don't have to go and he's not holding your sins against you. And the church isn't preaching the good news. They aren't preaching the gospel. They're preaching the wrath of God. And it's driving people away from the Lord. We're supposed to be drawing people to the Lord by his great love. And so this is what he was telling John. Comfort, comfort the people. And notice this in verse two. He says, speak ye comfortably unto Jerusalem and say unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Man, what an awesome, awesome statement. Now let me just say that this was not talking about something that was a reality at that time. It wasn't already accomplished. This was prophetic, talking about that when Jesus came, this would happen. And this is talking about His sacrifice. And it says that Jesus is going to pay double for all of our sins. Again, this is not a concept that the average Christian has. The average Christian believes that Jesus paid a price. He sacrificed. Without his sacrifice, we would have no access to God, but that he didn't pay at all, that you also have to pay and that you have to suffer. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Some of you are thinking, who believes that? Probably most of the people in this room. You may not even realize it because it's been said so long and we've been raised under this system, but we believe that we have to suffer for our sins. For instance, I have had thousands and thousands of people that I've prayed for, probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that I pray for. And I've heard this hundreds of thousands of times in some different form. Why hasn't God healed me? Because I pray... I go to church. I pay my tithes. I do this and this and this and this and this. How come God hasn't healed me? Did you know when you say something like that, you've revealed why God hasn't healed you? Because you didn't point to what Jesus did for you. You believe you have to pay. You have to be holy. You have to do things in order to earn God's favor. Now, you may never have put it in those words, but I can guarantee you that's how the vast majority of people uh, live. And to prove it, all you got to do is just do something wrong and all of a sudden, oh man, I know God won't heal me until I get this out. And you can't just confess it and turn from it. No, you got to sit there and you got to grovel in the dirt. You got to suffer for a while. You got to bear this. You know what that is? You aren't believing that Jesus paid it all. You aren't believing that he paid for all of your sins. You believe you have to pay for your sins. And you know, we have religion today. There's two extremes and then a lot of different things in between. But the ultra Pentecostals believe that even after you're born again, every single time you sin, you lose your salvation. And if you were to die before you get that sin confessed, you go to hell. Even though you may have been born again and walking with God for 20 years, if you were to commit adultery and be driving home and have a car wreck and died and you didn't have time to confess it, you'd go to hell even though you've been born again for 20 years. There's not much reaction to that. Probably most of you believe that. A lesser interpretation, but it's the same thing. It's just lesser consequences. Many people believe, well, you don't lose your salvation. You don't go to hell, but you would God won't answer your prayer. God won't fellowship with you. You can't have any joy. You can't have any peace. God won't use a dirty vessel. God wouldn't flow through anybody that has sin in their life. If you believe that, that's the reason God never uses you. Because your own conscience condemns you. You aren't perfect. You're never going to be perfect. And somebody said, well... I'm not perfect, but I don't dip or cuss or chew. I don't go with those that do. I'm better than you. And they sit there and they get this self-righteous attitude. The Bible says in James chapter 2 verse 10, if you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you are guilty of all. Religion sits there and says there's good sins, acceptable sins, and bad sins, unacceptable sins. God says sin is sin. Sin. And you know what? I've never committed homosexuality. I've never committed adultery. I don't steal. I don't do that. But I have sinned and I need Jesus and His atonement. I can't come before God on my goodness and on my basis. If you are one of those that believes God uses people because some people are holy and they deserve it and other people aren't. You'll hear this all the time. People say, if anybody ever deserved you know, to enter into heaven. We had a funeral or something. It was this person. Nobody gets into heaven because they deserved it. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet we hear stuff like this all of the time. And people will come and tell me, oh, this person needs to be healed. This is a worthy person. This person is a good person. They seek the Lord. They are worthy of being healed. Nobody is worthy of being healed. And some of you think, well, you don't know how good I am. You don't know how good God is. You're comparing yourself among yourself and you might be better than me or better than some other sinner, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever got rejected? (laughs) All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And see, people are trusting in their own selves. They aren't believing that Jesus paid double what we owe. They believe he paid a portion and we've got to make up the rest. And we are basically believing, God, I've got to be holy enough. You know, when I first started in ministry, I've made a promise that I would never minister without fasting two weeks before every single time I ministered. Man, if I was doing that now, I'd be plumb gone by now. I was dumb. But I was thinking that, God, I'm going to be holy and I'm going to be worthy. And, you know, as long as I thought that, all the devil had to do was just come and show me something I'd done wrong. And every time I'd done something wrong. Mine weren't the big ten. They weren't the big, you know, 10 sins like the 10 commandments, but I would always fail to study as much as I should. I could have loved God more. I could have done something more. I, I never was perfect. And as long as I was thinking that I had to be worthy for God to use me, I was never used because I wouldn't let him. I didn't feel worthy. My own conscience condemned me. I tell you, when I finally found out that God used me in spite of who I am and not because of who I am, it set me free. It changed my life. Now, this does not mean that I go live in sin because after all, God's not holding my sins against me. No, God's not holding my sins against me, but the devil will take advantage of every sin you commit. He'll eat your lunch and pop the bag. And so you know what? As much as you can, you need to live holy, but you need to recognize it's Jesus that paid my debt and he paid more than I owed. It's like if I went to pay a bill and I started to give them my money and somebody else just steps up and says, oh, here's a million dollars. Would that cover this $10 purchase? Amen. It'll be more than enough. Well, in a sense, that's you know we were trying to, oh God, I'm sorry, would you please love me? Would you move in my life? I promise you, I'll never do this again. I'm gonna go to church. I'll pay my tithes. I'll live holy and you're bartering with God and Jesus just steps up and pays double. Here, this will cover all of their sins. He paid double is what this verse says. And if you ever understood that we owed a debt that we could never pay, Most people don't understand this. They really believe that if we just promise God that honest, I'm going to live good, I'm going to study, I'm going to do better than I've ever done, you think that that's enough to appease God. God cannot be appeased by anything you ever do. You cannot pay for your sins. You You have nothing to barter with God for. Anything you have is worth nothing to God. Your holiness, it says in Isaiah chapter 64, I'm not I think it's verse 6, somewhere around there, it says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. All of your goodness. You know, there's bound to be somebody in this room that's better than others. There's somebody in here that's never done stuff. You are just as pure as the driven snow, but compared to God, you're a filthy rag. And somebody's offended by that. That's because you're self-righteous. You're trusting in your own self-goodness. The Bible says Jesus came to save sinners. He died for the ungodly. Unless you're a sinner and ungodly, you can't be saved. God didn't come to save righteous people. He came to save sinners. You need to humble yourself and admit that compared to God's standard, I've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you need to humble yourself and receive Jesus' pain for your sins. And yet the average person in the New Testament is still under this Old Testament mentality where you think that you can appease God and live holy enough to earn His goodness. You know what the Old Testament, this is an oversimplification, but the Old Testament was given to people who were trying to get back with God and they were trying to be holy and trying to be good enough and saying, oh God, just show me what you want me to do, thinking that they could earn it. God gave an Old Testament standard that was so far beyond their reach that it ma- it, the purpose of it was to make people despair of self-righteousness. It was like a person. You know, it's like somebody, if they walked into this room and if they had the machine gun says, I'm going to kill all of you. And you say, well, isn't there something we can do? And they say, yeah, jump and touch the ceiling. (laughs) Some of you might be able to get higher than others. We could have Michael Jordan in here that maybe could out jump anybody else in this room. But you know what? Michael Jordan can't jump and touch this ceiling. If that was the minimum requirement, we're all going to die. Some of you are couch potatoes. You can't hardly get up out of the chair, much less jump and touch. But you know, it wouldn't matter if you were a person that was in a wheelchair or if you were a person that could jump 15 feet, you still couldn't jump and touch the ceiling. The Lord raised the bars so high that it discouraged people from being self-righteous. I wish I had time to go through this, but in Leviticus chapter 21, 22, and 23, I was just studying this last week, it was talking about priest. And in the New Testament, I think it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, somewhere around there, it says that we are all kings and priests unto the Lord. So in the New Testament, you are a priest. You do not have to have somebody with their collar turned around backwards to stand between you and God. Every believer is a king and a priest. So what were the qualifications of a priest? You can read them over in Leviticus. Did you know that you couldn't have a flat nose? You couldn't be stoop shouldered. You couldn't have a mole anywhere on your body. You couldn't be left-handed. You had to be right-handed. You couldn't have poor eyesight. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. If you believe that you still have to live by the Old Testament, then you're going to have to burn all the moles off your body. You're going to have to quit writing with your left hand. You're going to have to write with your right hand. You're going to have to force yourself to stand up straight, get a brace, do whatever. You're going to have to get rid of your glasses. You can't wear glasses. You got to have perfect eyesight. Because as a priest, you had to represent Jesus, and Jesus doesn't have any flaws. There is no impurities in Him whatsoever. And the only people that could be priests were people who are without blemish. So, why did God do that? Because He wants you to burn the moles off your body? No, it was for those who were thinking that they were good enough. He says, here's, here's the minimum requirement to be accepted with God you got to be perfect. And it wasn't so that you would try and be perfect. It was to show you, man, God, if you're demanding perfection, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, come on in. That's what he was after. You know, it's like I heard a story about a man who died and he went to the pearly gates and this angel met him and said, "Uh, what's your name? And he told him his name and he says, all right, I got to give you a quiz and you got to get a hundred points to be able to enter into heaven. This guy thought that ought to be easy. So the angel asked him and he says, So, did you go to church? He says, I never missed. I had perfect attendance. I've got a, a you know a button and a bar here to show that I had perfect attendance for years in church. And he says, Okay, that's worth half a point. And he said, half a point? And he says, did you pay your tithes? He says, yeah, I always paid my tithes. He says, that's half a point. Then he says, did you love your wife? He says, I was faithful to my wife. I never cheated. He says, that's worth one point. And after about 50 questions, he had five points. (laughs) And he says, my God, if this is what you're demanding, I'll never get in, but by the grace of God. And he says, come right on in, amen. (laughs) The purpose of the law was to show you that you can't live holy. You can't do all of these things. And yet religion, Satan has used religion to turn it around and say, if you want relationship with God, if you want God to use you, if you want God to flow through you, if you want to be healed, if you want the anointing, if you want the gifts of the spirit, you've got to be holy. That's not true. true. Thank you for that one. That's not true, Daniel. <laughs> Most of you, I believe, you do have to be. I believe that there's great benefit to being holy as you can, because again, Satan will take advantage of any sin that you give him. So don't give the Satan, don't give the devil inroad into your life. Resist him and live as holy as you possibly can. But God does not use you because you are holy. God doesn't love you because you are lovely. He loves you because He is love. It's all about Him. He's paid everything. And this is what the new covenant is about. And yet people have missed this. And by and large, the church today is saying you gotta be holy. You know, we're gonna give an invitation for people to come forward and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Last night we had over 300 people come forward and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was tremendous. But did you know that one of the things that hinders many people from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is the fact that so many churches preach that God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God had not got any other kind of vessel to fill. And some of Well, I'm not a dirty vessel. Again, you're relatively clean. Maybe you're better than me, but that's not good enough. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. All of us have varying degrees of failure in our life. Right now, the way some of you are thinking about me is sin. (laughs) God loves me and yet you are put out and upset because I've rubbed your religion the wrong way and I guarantee you it's sin what you're thinking about me. Amen. <laughs> None of us are perfect. Well, and people will say, well, I know I'm not perfect, but, and, and again, you start categorizing sin. Well, I, yeah, I sin, but I'm, I'm a good sinner. There is no such thing as a good sinner. <laughs> We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you either need Jesus or you stand on your own, but it's not a mixture of the two. Romans chapter 11, verse six says, you're either saved by grace without works, otherwise grace is no more grace, or you're saved by works without grace, otherwise works is no more works. That's just old English for saying you're saved by one or the other, but you cannot mix the two. It's not what you do, and Jesus makes up the difference. You either have a Savior and trust in a Savior, or you trust in yourself, but not a combination of the two. It's not Jesus plus you. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing except faith in Jesus equals everything. If you are mixing your goodness in there and thinking that God is using you and moving in your life and you're believing God for breakthrough because you've been fasting and you've been praying and you've been doing these things, then you are putting your goodness in there with Jesus and you just polluted the whole thing. It's like I heard this story about a pastor who his son wanted to go to a movie and the pastor says, what's it rated? And he says, well, it's rated R, but it's really not a bad movie. There's just a tiny bit of nudity just for a moment. There's just some bad language, very little, but it's really a good movie. All of my friends are going. The deacon's sons are going. It's okay. It's not bad, and he just begged his dad, and his dad said no, and the kid was upset, and so finally his dad said, you invite your friends over to my house. So he brought his friends over to his house, and they were playing and doing different things, and the dad thought he'd make a peace offering, and he went in and made some brownies. And man, he brought these brownies out. They were hot, smelled good, and he offered them to the kids, and he was cutting them up, and he says, now right before you eat these brownies, I just want you to know that there's a little bit of dog poop in them. There's not a lot. You won't even be able to taste it and it won't make you sick and it won't bother you. But I put just a little bit of dog poop in there and it won't hurt you at all. Go ahead and enjoy. Nobody ate them. Well, it's that same way. When you try and mix your poop with God's holiness, You pollute it. And you might be better than I am. But compared to God, it's like dog poop. You just cannot add anything to what Jesus has done. This is the reason that we pray and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, what you're saying is, I claim no goodness. I don't deserve anything. I don't have rights. It's not my goodness. But because of Jesus, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, When you say that, you're saying, Father, because of Jesus, only because of Jesus. But when you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I've fasted, I've prayed, I'm doing better than I ever have. Now I know you're gonna use me. You just mixed your unrighteousness with God's holiness and you violated the name of Jesus. You took the name of Jesus in vain. It's not only taking the name of Jesus in vain when you curse, it's when you say, Father, use me because now I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm doing better than I've ever done in the name of Jesus. You've just taken the name of Jesus in vain. And we do this all of the time. Religion does this constantly that it's sure Jesus is the basis. He's the foundation, but he didn't pay at all. This verse says he paid double. He paid more than what you owed. He paid so much that nothing we could do could ever even come close. I've had people come to me by the hundreds who said, I'm just not sure God will save me. They know that God exists, but they aren't sure that he will save them, that he will heal them, that he will deliver them because what they've done is so bad. You know what you're saying? That your sin is bigger than God's atonement. You see your sin bigger than Jesus. I'm trying to get across that one drop of Jesus' blood. He was so pure. He was so holy that one drop of His blood was worth more than the entire human race's sin from time past to time in the future all pooled together. One drop of His blood was worth more than all of our sin. (laughs) Jesus has dealt with sin. Sin is not the problem with God. That usually goes over about like that. Religion today, sin is everything. When you enter in and pray, the first thing you do, oh God, I'm so sorry. And you just start naming all of your sins, hoping that if you'll mention them first, God won't. You are sin conscious. You come in and you just, oh God, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unrighteous and all of this. You know, every time you do that, you are not honoring what the atonement that Jesus paid. Am I saying that you don't sin? No, we do sin. But I'm saying, and you, as much as you can, you need to resist that because every time you sin, you give inroad of Satan into your life. Romans chapter six, verse 16 says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. When you go yield to sin, you yield yourself to Satan, the author of that sin. And John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief cometh not but for to steal... Kill and destroy. Satan is going to take advantage of you if you go out and live in sin. So, hear what I'm saying. Quit living in sin as much as you can. If you're living in sin, you're stupid. You're dumb. It's stupid to live in sin. Sin isn't smart, it's stupid. I am not for sin, but I'm saying that God paid for your sin. Sin is not an issue with God. But see, there's not only this vertical relationship about our relationship with God. God is not imputing sin unto us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, He's not imputing sin unto us. Romans 5, 13, He's not imputing sin unto us. Romans chapter 6, verse 15, Romans 4, 15, and many others, man, sin... Is a transgression of the law, and the law has been taken away from us. And God is not mad at you over your sin or your lack of holiness. He's dealing with every one of us in complete grace. But does that mean that we go live in sin? No, because Satan will take advantage of you. So as much as you can, it's still to your advantage to live right so that your heart won't become hardened. Living holy doesn't make God's heart sensitive towards you. And living unholy doesn't harden His heart towards you. But living unholy will harden your heart towards God. It'll make your heart insensitive to God. So as much as you can, do what's right. Don't give the devil inroad into your life, but God loves you, stupid. Stupid. You're stupid, but God loves you. And if you could understand that, you know what that would do? Somebody says, well, man, you're just allowing people to go live in sin. You're giving people a license to sin. People are doing pretty good without a license. (laughs) This doesn't give you a license to sin. If you really understood how much God loved you when you don't deserve to be loved. If If you ever understood how vile we are in our self-righteousness. See, a person who is trying to earn relationship with God, they don't have a good revelation of our unworthiness. Man, I don't have the words to put this into, you know, to get this across to you, but March the 23rd, 1968, 45 years ago for me, I got caught up in the presence of God. I saw the holiness and the purity of God. And I was a very, very holy person according to man's standard. I'm turning 64 this month. I have never used a word of profanity. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee in all of my 64 years. Some of you think coffee Are you saying that coffee and booze are the same thing? No, there's a scripture you've got for drinking coffee. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says, You can drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm you. Amen. (laughs) I'm just saying, I've lived a holy life. I've lived holier than most of you have ever thought about. But you know what? When I was caught up in the presence of God, when I saw God Almighty, I realized that, man, I was unholy, ungodly. I thought God was gonna kill me. I deserve to be killed. Some of you don't share that opinion, and you think, but I'm a really good person. You've never seen the glory of God. I can guarantee you when people see the glory of God, it says every knee's gonna bow. All of the people who didn't believe there was a God, all of the people who shook their fist at God, and I'm mad at God, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask him about this and this and this, You are not. The moment you see the glory of God, all of your stupid questions and all of your self-righteousness and all of your stuff is gonna vanish, you are gonna kneel and you're gonna confess that He is Lord. Amen. If you will confess it in this life, then He will accept you in the next life. But if you wait and fight against Him, and don't accept His mercy. You will eventually worship Him and honor Him the same as I do, but you will have to do it from hell because you passed up your opportunity to do it here on earth. Everybody's gonna confess that Jesus is Lord. And I got caught up and I saw the glory of God and I guarantee you, I expected God to kill me. I was just overwhelmed. And those of you who are self-righteous and thinking, but I'm really good. You are... Missing my goodness. You are missing the holiness and the righteousness of God. Compared to God, you aren't worth spitting on. What does that do to your self esteem? Man, I tell you what, even the church today is pushing all of this self esteem stuff, but I I don't esteem myself. Myself was headed to hell. It was doomed to it. There was nothing I could do to avoid it. I couldn't save myself. Myself caused Jesus to come to this earth and have to die. Myself has done nothing but just cause problems. But I'm a born again person and I esteem who I am in Christ. I esteem what Jesus has done in my life. I am very pleased with who I am in Christ, but I'm not, I don't have any delusions about myself you know, if I, wasn't, if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me to preach for Him. Man, He could have gotten a lot of other people more qualified. But one of the reasons it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, that God chose the foolish things of the world, base things of the world, things that are despised, things that are nothing to bring to naught things that are. It says, so that no flesh would glory in His presence. One of the reasons people... God chooses Hicks from Texas is because Hicks from Texas know that it's, I had not got a chance. God, you've got to do it. Whereas people who have it all together and who are so well educated and can speak well and do everything, they get up there and say, God, you just introduced me and I can handle it from here. God won't use a person like that. God won't use you if you think, but I'm really a good person. You haven't come to the end of yourself. It's at the end of yourself that you find the beginning of God. And all of this legalism that is being preached today about you be holy and if you'll do this and this and this, then God will respond to you and heal you. It's putting, it's putting the idea in you that you can somehow or another become worthy of God using you on some goodness on your own. And that's deception. It's a lie. This is what the devil sold Adam and Eve on. With the, They weren't good enough the way that God had made them. They had to do something more. They needed something more. And instead of trusting in Jesus and the Father, what He had created, they started trying to establish their own identity, their own self-worth, their own goodness. And it damned us all when they did that. Man, this religion is teaching you that you can somehow or another make yourself good enough that God can use you. You can't. What you can do is just humble yourself and say, Father, I'm, I'm going to get it in the name of Jesus. I don't deserve anything, but Jesus loved me. He paid double for my sins. He's done more than enough. And I know that you love me, not because I'm lovely, but because you are love. And in the name of Jesus, I speak, I ask. Most of the body of Christ doesn't have that kind of attitude. And that's the reason that they aren't seen the power of God manifest in their life because they are into self-righteousness. The gospel is the good news about what Jesus did for us, not what we do for Jesus. And sad to say, most people are looking at themselves. And this is the reason that Satan is able to condemn you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, that you should have no more conscience of sin. That's the last phrase in that verse. You should not be sin conscious. And yet the average person is just totally sin conscious. Totally. You know, we, I saw my son raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. Raised from the dead with no brain damage, no more than he had before, praise God. <laughs> I've seen three people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open. We were just talking about all that. Again, most of you are fanatics. This is Saturday night. You believe in that kind of stuff or you wouldn't be here. Amen. If somebody fell over dead right here tonight and I said, how many of you believe God can raise this person from the dead? Most of you'd be right there with me. I said, I'm going to pray for him and I believe that God's going to raise him up. Most of you'd say, go for it, brother. You'd get up here. You'd want to see it. But you know where I'd lose 99% of you? I'd say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for him. Now just think about this. You were real excited. You believe that God could raise people from the dead and you believe that I've seen people raised from the dead. And so man, go for it and you're all for it. But when I say you come pray for him, all of a sudden your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. What happened? Did God quit being able to raise the dead? Did you change your belief that God could do it? You know what happens? It's not that people doubt God can do it. They doubt God will do it because they are sin conscious. They think God is moving in their life proportional to how holy they live. And you think that a preacher must surely be holy. And so you're, you know, if I pray, well, then you're going to believe and and believe that I can see it happen. But you know you better than you know me. And you know every rotten thing that you've done. You know, some of you got mad on the way here tonight. Many of you haven't read your Bible all day long. You hadn't prayed in tongues all day long. Some of you, you're just rotten. (laughs) Amen. And so you don't doubt that God can do it. You don't doubt that he can do it through me, but you doubt he can do it through you. Why? Because you don't feel worthy. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your (laughs) prayers. I don't deserve it. That's the reason that I see miracles happen is I say in the name of Jesus, I've learned to quit letting my unworthiness limit God and what He can do. Most of us aren't believing that Jesus paid double for our sins. We are believing we have to add to it. We also have to be holy and do all these things. Again, there is benefit to being as holy as you can to limit Satan's inroad, but your holiness does not impress God one bit. It doesn't make you more likely to be used. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to make Him love you any more. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you any less. Your actions do not determine God's goodness towards you at all. Now it is a weight, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. It's like trying to run a race. And if you are living in sin, you got a big old ball and chain tied around your leg. And you know what? God's not against you. He'll let you run the race, but you'll cross the line last because you've got Satan hindering you with all of this sin that's waiting you down. Your own conscience is condemning you. So God's not against you, but that doesn't mean that you go live in sin. If people... See, this is why some people reject grace is because they sit there and they say, well, this means I can just go live in sin because God loves me. You aren't only dealing with God. It's not only this vertical relationship, but there's a horizontal relationship. The way you relate to people and the way you do things down here determines how much inroad Satan has into your life. And if you give him an inroad into your life, he'll take a mile for every inch that you give him. He will come in and He will extract His punishment. And I guarantee you, you should not be living in sin. If you're living in sin, you're just plain dumb and stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? (laughs) Amen, it's stupid. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not encouraging sin, but I'm saying God paid for all of your sins. And He paid for the past, present, and even future sins. Some of you, that's just... That's like a new wrinkle in your brain. How could this possibly be that he could pay for sins that I haven't even committed yet? You better hope that he can pay for sins that you haven't committed because he only died for your sins once 2,000 years ago. If he can't pay for sins before you committed them, then you can't be born again. Jesus isn't dying for your sins today. You don't pray and ask God to forgive your sins. Lord, will you come and die for my sins? No, you have to look back and see that he's already done it and believe and just appropriate what has already taken place. And so Jesus has forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and even future sins. Sins that you haven't even committed yet are forgiven. And if somebody's thinking, oh man, this is great news. I can go live in sin. Again, you're, you're stupid. You're missing what I'm saying. Just because they're paid for and God's not angry at you. Satan, you have an enemy, the devil going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter chapter five, I think it's verse seven. And he is going to devour you if you give place to him. It's stupid to go live in sin. Don't do it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I'm saying God does not love you more. If you're living holy, he doesn't love you less. If you're living unholy, you are just giving Satan tremendous inroad against you. I live holy, not in order to please God, but out of thankfulness for what God has already done. And I also do it to limit Satan's inroad into my life. I do not want to give Satan place. But my goodness does not extend towards God. My goodness holds Satan at bay. It might increase my value in your eyes. You might trust my integrity or faithfulness or something, but God deals with me only based on what Jesus has already done and whether or not I'm putting faith in Jesus. And if I put faith in Jesus, that's it. Did you know what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world? We are the only religion on the planet with a Savior. Every other religion believes in a God, maybe sometimes multiple gods, and they believe that all mankind have sinned and come short and sin has separated us from God but then they will give you things that you have to do to appease God and to earn God's favor. The Buddhists have to put on a saffron robe, shave their head and beg and humble themselves and deny themselves and on and on and on you could go. The Muslims have to kill infidels or whatever, amen, and on and on. And everybody's got something you've got to do to gain access to heaven, But the whole burden is on you, what you do. Christianity, if it's true Christianity, and there is a lot of false Christianity, but if it's true Christianity, we are the only religion on the planet that has a Savior who came and did what we couldn't do. He died in our place. He paid double for what our sin and debt was and we now get accepted with God through what He did and not through what you do. If somehow you were to die right now and if you could imagine yourself standing before God and if He says, what makes you worthy? If you were to start saying, well, I'm a good person. I believed in you. I, I knew you existed. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 19, Says, you believe that there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Believing that God exists is not salvation. The devil believes that and he's not saved. Some people say, But I've gone to church, I was a good person, I helped little old ladies across the street. I didn't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. I lived holy. I did this and this and this. You know what? You would go straight to hell. I don't care if you're better than I am or better than anybody else. The only thing that makes you a Christian is the fact that if God says what makes you worthy, you say, I don't have any worthiness except the fact that I've received what Jesus did for me. I put my faith in a Savior. I have a Savior. It's not based on my goodness I draw on the mercy of Jesus. He would welcome you in and say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you would point to your goodness, you would go to hell. And there may be people sitting right here tonight who you consider yourself to be a Christian, but as you imagine this, you would have immediately started pointing to your own goodness. You may even use the term Jesus is Savior, but in practice, you your faith is in yourself. You know, if a person came forward for salvation tonight, and if they've heard the gospel correctly, and if they came forward and I said, God shows me that you just committed adultery, you committed adultery last night, and here you are. If they heard the gospel correctly, that wouldn't keep them from getting saved. They'd say, that's the reason I came. I need a savior. I'm a sinner. Oh God, have mercy on me. Jesus, I want your forgiveness. And they could go ahead and receive the greatest miracle that ever was, forgiveness of sins, right in the midst of them living in adultery. This woman was taken in the very act of adultery in John chapter 8, I think it is, and Jesus forgave her and she was caught in the very act of adultery. It didn't keep her from being born again because he was the Savior and all she had to do was humble herself and put her faith in him and his goodness and not in her goodness. So most people see, understand that when it comes to the initial born again experience. But if a person who was already a Christian came forward and wanted to be healed and I had a word of knowledge and I said, man, God shows me that you've been angry at your wife without a good cause. You're in, ang- you're in unforgiveness. You know what the average Christian would do? Then immediately stop. Well, now I know why God hasn't healed me. God won't heal me until I repent of this, until I get that sin under the blood. (laughs) And you wouldn't accept it. You wouldn't receive it. Now think about this. Here's a person who just committed adultery and that doesn't keep them from getting saved, but you getting mad is going to keep you from getting your healing or getting something else now that you're a Christian. Most people believe that God is merciful to the lost people but become a Christian and God is going to reject you. And if you don't study the Bible and if you don't pray and if you don't do this, God's liable to let you die of cancer because you weren't walking in uh, the Word the way that you're supposed to. That's inconsistent. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you get saved? You didn't get saved because you deserved to be saved. You came and sang the song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. You got saved because somebody told you you couldn't save yourself. You need a savior and you put faith in a savior, but then you get saved and you love God now and you go to church and say, man, what do I have to do to please God? Well, you've got to start doing this, and this, and this, and this, and they start putting down all of these rules and regulations that you are bound to break. It's impossible for you to be perfect. And they lift this standard up there, and after a while, now here you are born again, which was the greatest miracle. It says the same way that you got saved, the same way you're supposed to walk, but now instead of putting faith in a Savior, You come before God and God, I've been doing this and I've been doing this. Will you please heal me now? And you start bartering and trying to cash in your goodness so that God can move in your life. And that's the very thing that's stopping you is not your sin, but your trust in your holiness. It's your self-righteousness that stops the power of God. When you come before God and say, God, give me what I deserve. It's mercy that he doesn't give you what you deserve. Because you at your very best don't deserve anything. You don't deserve the blessing of God. God doesn't give His blessings because they're deserved. He gives it because He is a good God. The only thing He asks is that you quit promoting yourself and standing in your own self-righteousness and that you humble yourself and make Jesus a Savior and receive it through Him. Your own trust in yourself is the very thing that is stopping the power of God. This is what the gospel is all about. The gospel is the good news that God is going to move in your life because He is good, not because you're good. He loves you based on nothing but His goodness, not your goodness. And if you ever got hold of what I'm talking about, you would love God so much If you could ever see the the real holiness of God, if if you could ever see His true holiness and your relative unworthiness, if you could see how far we have fallen from what God made mankind to be, I guarantee you, you'd despair of ever thinking that there's something you could do that would impress God with your holiness. And you'd throw yourself on His mercy and you'd start receiving by grace. The very fact that so many of us are promoting our own self-righteousness is an indictment against our lack of understanding of God and who He is. I tell you, God's awesome. And you cannot earn anything. You have to humble yourself and receive it by grace. There's a scripture that says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way, lest he take you and deliver you to the judge. You know, one of the applications of that verse that I make to myself is that when the devil starts coming and trying to condemn me. Like there was a time back uh, when we first went to Pritchett, Colorado, a little tiny town of 144 people and I was pastoring a church. There was only 144 people in the town. The next closest town was 30 miles away and it had 1,000 people. I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere. You know, if that wasn't, you know, the middle of nowhere, you could see it from there. It was that close. And yet we saw a man raised from the dead. And man, when that happened, people started coming from everywhere. We had a hundred people coming to church. And they started, people started coming by and asking me to pray with them and minister to them. And I was busy from daylight till dark ministering to people. And I didn't have any time to read the Bible, to pray, to do anything on my own. And so I knew I needed to be studying the word. I couldn't just give out forever. I had to fill myself up. And so I made a commitment to God and I said, tomorrow I'm going to fast and pray and study the Word all day long. And I meant it and that's what I wanted to do. But before I even got out of bed, somebody knocked on the door and they needed me to minister to them. So I had to get up from a sleep and start ministering to people. I opened up the Bible, but I did it to minister to people all day long. I was praying and ministering the word. I wasn't receiving directly from God. I was giving out. And then at lunch, a guy that I'd been trying to witness to for a long time came by and wanted to take me out to lunch. And I thought, praise God, he could get born again today. And so I wasn't gonna tell him I was fasting and not go eat with him. I decided I'd go with him because maybe he could be born again. And I was hungry because I didn't have breakfast. So I ate twice as much as I normally ate for lunch. And then that night I was driving over to this Bible study, 45 miles. I was going by myself and I felt so unworthy. God, I I didn't fast. I ate twice as much. The only time I opened up my Bible was to read to other people. The only time I prayed was for other people. I broke every promise I made you and I had scripture come to my remembrance. Like it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not pay. That all liars will have their part in a lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And I was just feeling so unworthy. And as I got closer to this town, I was saying, oh God, how could you ever use me? I broke every promise. I lied to you. I did everything wrong I could do. And I was just, I was crying as I was drying over there. And I was saying, oh God, please use me anyway. What about the people? Even if I'm not worthy, don't, you know, I, I used to be an introvert and it was just, it scared me to talk to a person face to face, much less stand in front of people like this. I couldn't do it. It was impossible. And I was afraid, oh God, I'm going to get up there and you won't flow through me. You won't annoy me and it'll be terrible. I said, God, if you won't do it for me, do it for the people. And I still didn't feel any confidence and any faith. And so I just kept, oh God. And I finally cried out, oh God, just do it because of who Jesus is. And as soon as I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, who did you think I was going to do this because of? And I realized I had fallen back into this performance trap thinking God was going to use me because I fasted and I prayed and I studied the word. And I tell you, that's the very thing that hinders people from being used. So now when the devil comes to me and he begins to condemn me and says, what makes you think God would use you, you unworthy thing? Instead of trying to justify myself, I just agree with my adversary quickly. And I say, you know what? You're right. I don't deserve it. Man, there's, there's no way that I should see anybody healed. There's no way I should see a blind eye open, a deaf ear open. There's no way that anybody should be blessed. I don't deserve it. I think I'll just pray for him in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll get it because of who Jesus is instead of who I am. And I've learned to be strong in the grace of Jesus and use the name of Jesus. And I don't pray for you in the name of Andrew Womack. I don't pray in my own name. I don't spend any time trying to justify myself. When the devil condemns me, I say, you are absolutely right. I am a zero with the rim knocked off, but praise God that he loves me. Amen. And I just receive his love, not because I deserve it, but because God is a good God. Amen. Amen. And I tell you, this is a superior position to those of you who are trusting in your goodness. And some of you are thinking, I'm not about to let go of all of my goodness. I worked hard for it. (laughs) Well, it'll help you with people. It might keep you out of jail and do things. But you know what? When it comes to God, All of us have sin come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. You cannot trust in yourself. And I'm telling you, this is the reason that you're up and down like a yo-yo. And sometimes you just are, oh, it's awesome. God loves me and everything's wonderful because your performance is good. But just hang around for a while and you will do something wrong. You will get mad. You will get into the flesh. And then you'll go down there in the valley and be in all of this depression and discouragement because you messed up again and you'll bawl and squall and cry and God will show you his mercy and you'll feel forgiven and you'll get back up on the mountain top. You could just live there if you would quit trusting in your own self and just let God's love flow in your life. You do not have to be like that. It said that when Jesus comes, every valley will be exalted and every mountain and hill will be brought low. If you bring the valleys up and the mountains down, it should be smooth sailing. There should be a consistency in your life. If you're hot and cold, it's because you're in the flesh and you're trusting your own goodness. If your faith was in Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The reason you're on and off and hot and cold and up and down and sometimes anointed and sometimes not is because you are trusting in yourself and you're operating by your own worthiness and your own goodness. When you get in Christ, you will be consistent because he's always the same. The only fluctuation that you will ever have is when you get sidetracked and quit trusting in the grace of God and get back into yourself and into the flesh. But as long as you stay in Christ, you'll just be consistent and you'll see the power of God. You can go up and cast demons out and not have to fast to get them out. Not have to scream. You know, sometimes I cast demons out of people and we have manifestations and man, there's people, I'll, I'll hear Christians over and over. Father, we're in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in the... And you know what that is? That's not faith, That's fear. Or they'll start screaming, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's fear. You get in Jesus, it'd be like Smith Wigglesworth. He was going to bed and saw movement at the end of his bed and he grabbed a candle and held it up and said, and saw it was the devil and he says, oh, it's just you and blew the candle out, went to bed. <laughs> Who cares? You, don't, you aren't afraid to see a demon come out. You aren't afraid to have something happen because you're in Christ and everything's fine. When you are trusting in Him, it gives you a consistency, a boldness that is beyond yourself. If you were trusting in yourself, yourself might be better than myself, but yourself is still no good. It does not reach the God class. You can't deal with the devil. You can't deal with cancer. You can't deal with blindness and deafness and the recession and stuff in your own self. But if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what happens in this world. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you can just stand in Him. And I tell you, the Lord has done everything for us. It's like that book I was advertising. It's already done. He's already done. You're already healed. Instead of trying to get God to heal you, find out what He's already done. Find out what you've already got and just dwell in it. And if you would trust in that, I guarantee you Satan... He can defeat you, but he cannot defeat God. And if you would trust in God instead of trusting in yourself, you will not be defeated. If you're depressed and discouraged, it's because you are standing in your own might and in your own power. If you're sick, it's because you have not yet got in the gospel. That's the power of God unto salvation. It will produce healing in your body. And on and on and on I could go. I really had someplace else I was trying to get to. I never got very far past these verses. But I'd encourage you to get that book entitled, The War Is Over. You'd be shocked to find out how Jesus set us free from all this Old Testament stuff. And man, praise God for the New Testament. The Lord loves us more than any of us understand or recognize. It's good. I know some of you are thinking, boy, this sounds too good to be true. That's what the gospel is. That's a definition of the gospel. Too good to be true news. What religion is preaching by and large is not too good to be true. It's bad news. But this is the gospel and if you could understand this, it would change your life. It would set you free. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. The only thing you can do is humble yourself and quit trying to relate to him based on your performance and just receive a Savior. Put faith in a Savior. And I tell you, if you do that, it would transform your life. And if the body of Christ understood and operated in what I'm talking about, this is the gospel, it would be the power of God. It would turn the world right side up. But religion has perverted this to where it's all about your performance and you doing these things and you cleaning up your act so that God can accept you. I'm telling you, God loved you so much that He commended His love towards you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves you. He's wanting to move in your life. He's wanting to make your life awesome, not based on your performance, but based on His performance. And if you would just humble yourself and receive it as a gift, God would flow through you and miracles would happen. What I, I believe that the gospel is as simple as I've made it tonight, but it's not easy. The hardest thing you will ever do is get rid of a performance mentality because the whole world is based on performance. You can't go out of here tonight and go speeding and a cop stops you and you say, hey, I learned that it's not based on my performance. (laughs) And you know, that's absolutely true. God still loves you, but that that cop's gonna write you a ticket. You go out here and rob a bank you're going to get put in jail and you know what? God will love you in jail and you could just have a wonderful time. You could have an awesome prison ministry, but there are consequences to your sin. And so when you leave here, everybody else, the whole world system operates on performance. You aren't going to be able to go to your boss on Monday and say, hey, I found out about grace and I may or may not show up. I may or may not work. It'll just depend on how I feel, but you know what? God loves me anyway. And that's absolutely true, but that boss will fire you. (laughs) The whole world system operates on performance. And so it's hard to renew your mind to this because nobody treats you the way God does. Your mate doesn't treat you the way God does. They should, but they don't. They'll give you what you deserve. You do something wrong and you'll be punished for it. And if you aren't careful, it's just like this performance mentality just chokes you. It takes effort. It takes getting into the Word of God. You have, you're you're going to have to sit and soak. And I promise you that one message is not going to forever change your life. It could be a seed that if you will nurture it and water it and take care of it, this could grow into something that this one message could be the beginning of a changed life. But you're going to have to sit and soak in this. It's going to take time. And if you go home tonight and wash watch this down with two or three hours worth of television, you'll lose it. It's going to take effort for you to nurture this. And, and, uh, but it's well worth the effort. It's as simple as what I've said, but it just takes effort for you to renew your mind and get rid of this performance-based religion. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. You can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.